Hi. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church. Here at FBC, it's our mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and we hope that this message helps you continue to grow in your faith. This audio is property of First Baptist Church, but feel free to give away copies of this message in the hopes that others will be impacted by what they hear. For more information about FBC, or if you want to stay connected with us, visit our website at fbclloyd.ca or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, and enjoy the latest from FBC. Good morning, everyone. How's everyone doing today? I'm still no reaction there, Bruce. <laughs> Thought maybe, maybe that little encouragement earlier might have made a difference for you, but not really. All right. Hey, um, I survived my second week of family reunion. I'm pretty pumped about that. So I'm really excited to be here this morning. And, and we are starting a new series called Life Upside Down. And no, it is not a series on Dating and marriage. I said to, to Fran, I said, hey, we're going to start this new series on Life Upside Down. And that's what she thought it was about, dating and marriage. And I said, well, why would you think that Life Upside Down is a, a series on dating and marriage? And she said, well, when I met you, you turned my life right upside down. <laughs> and yes, I did. As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, tomorrow is our 30th anniversary. So, thank you very much. I continued to turn her life upside down, but not the way that we're talking about this morning, probably in a far different way and not nearly as effective and as important as what we're going to talk about today. This series is actually all about how we need to be looking at our lives so fundamentally differently on account of Jesus Christ. That because of who He is and what He's done, that that should transform the way that we pursue life day by day. And so we're going to look at that over the next four weeks, and we're going to look at that in four monumental ways. Four monumental ways, four monumental perspectives that we need to have and that we need to incorporate into our world as we go forward so that we can see the world differently, so that we can live differently, and that we can touch the world around us for Jesus Christ. So these four categories are really broad, and they're they're categorical, they're perspectives that are going to play out in, in very specific ways, but in a myriad of ways, different ways, in our lives, so we can have these broad perspectives that will frame our our understanding and our interpretation of how to live. But then as the Spirit leads us, He'll lead us to play these things out, these perspectives out in all kinds of different ways day by day going forward. And it will literally turn our lives upside down. And as we do that, then we trust also that He will use us to turn the world upside down around us. Because seeing things this way is us then coming in line with Christ's redemptive work, not only in ourselves, in you and I personally, but it's coming in line also with his work to redeem the world from sin as we know it right now. And so 
that's what we're going to talk about. And it proves, it, I'm sure it promises, it proves to be a wild ride as we get that right, as we get that focus straight in our minds and as we move forward under these different perspectives. So this morning, let's pray, and then we're going to dive into our first paradigm, which is dying to live. Let's, let's pray. Father, this morning... We're thankful again for the opportunity that we have to come together and to spend this time together where we can corporately with one another, brothers and sisters in Christ and with friends that have come and are visiting with us as well, just take this time to look at you, to consider you and all you're about. And so, Lord, as we spend this time, I pray that you would help us not to just observe, but that you would help us to internalize. That you would be connecting dots for us so that as we look at these different perspectives that you call us to have in how we live, that we would be able to then be sensitive to your spirit as he leads and guides in us and as these things then play out in very practical and specific ways in our, in our lives day by day. So to that end, open our hearts and our minds now for we ask these things in Christ's name and for his sake alone. Amen. All right. So last week I mentioned that we have sold Jesus short, I think, in our lives. In that we accept him as our savior, but then we shortchange him in being Lord of our lives. That we're perfectly happy to take his gift of salvation that deals with our sin and gives us, again, the promise of eternal life with him and and a, a restoration in our relationship with him. But we overlook him as Lord day by day as we live. And as a result of that, then we run into all kinds of challenges. We shy away from what he's calling us to day by day in our lives. So we see these hurdles that prevent us from making him Lord and following him as Lord in our lives. And and I wonder why that is. And I regularly have to keep asking myself that question because I see myself doing it regularly. I know what God's calling me to. And yet there's this reluctance in me, there's this question in me as to whether I I want to participate in that. And I have to stop and I have to evaluate myself and say, what what is it, Doug? What's the holdup? Why are you reluctant? And as I look at my life, and maybe as you look at your life, I find that there are a number of different reasons, different things that keep me from buying in and from adopting these perspectives, these attitudes that he calls me to have and to live by. Sometimes I think that I see it as payback. I look at Jesus and what he's done for me and, and I go, okay, I get it. You've offered me salvation and as a result of that, well then, now I have to pay you back by living the way that you ask me to live. And it's such a, such a silly idea because I can never pay him back. And it's actually even a silly idea because it's not like he's asking for payback in that sense. It's not like somehow I have to repay this bill in his mind. But it somehow gets twisted into that in my mind. And so I do it maybe out of 
duty or obligation, and oftentimes then I push back on that because I'm not interested in the duty or obligation. Sometimes I think it's because we look at God and we think that God's just plain boring. We look at Him and we think that He's this tired old guy. He's drab, boring. And I'm looking for something far different than that. So I avoid what he calls me to. Sometimes I think it's just because we think that God's a fuddy-duddy. That he's just uptight. Some old Scrooge. Some old traditional conservative elderly guy sitting there cranky. I don't want any part of that. Sometimes I think it's because we just naturally buy in to what the world tells us is going to be exciting, what's going to be fun. And when that doesn't line up with what Jesus calls us to, well then I'm opting for the worldly plan A rather than Jesus' plan B in my mind. But mostly, I think I'm coming to the conclusion that we don't follow Jesus because we really don't know him. We haven't entered into a real relationship with him, where we're getting to know him, where we're starting to find out about him and understand him and his character. And as a result of that, because we don't know him, then we don't trust him. That's why it's so important that we be thinking in that we be regularly spending some time in Scripture getting to know about Him and how He responds, how He acts. Getting to understand His perspective. Starting to know what He's calling us to so that we can maybe start to tiptoe in that direction a little bit in order that we would be able to find Him faithful in those things. That as He calls us to take these little steps of faith into whatever that it is that is in front of us, that we would then experience him, meet us in that, and support us in that so that we would begin to trust him. But as long as we don't know him, as long as we don't know about him, then we're always going to be suspicious. We won't take him at his word. And then I think at best we end up hedging our bets when he calls us to something. We look at it and at best we buy in just a little bit, as much maybe as I have to. And so when it comes to Jesus' words in Luke chapter 9, verse 24, and elsewhere in the Gospels, where he says, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. We hear this and we immediately turn and want to go the other way. What's this business about losing my life to save it? What is this about losing my life so that I can live for you? I'm not interested in losing my life. I've got a pretty good handle on what I think my life should be. So we hear this and we immediately begin to shy away. And as we come to these verses throughout the Gospels, there are different perspectives on what Christ is driving at as he speaks them to us today. 
The first perspective is that Jesus is referring here only to salvation. That he's talking about only our ultimate salvation. Which is to say that if we live only for ourselves, and if we pursue life only for me, for what I want, as if it's only about me, in other words, as if I am God, well then at that point, we've denied him, and at that point, then we will lose our life. We have no salvation from our sin. All that's left for us is to experience death and the consequence of our sin. But if we accept him, if we change our perspective where it's not just about me and all about me, and I recognize my need of a Savior, and I turn to Jesus Christ, well then he will save me and us, and we will live with him for eternity. The other perspective is that Jesus is referring here not only to our salvation, but he's talking as well about how to live our lives now. That it isn't just for down the road one day, but it is for every day going forward as we place our faith in him. So in other words, that those who learn to live not for themselves, but for Christ will actually find real, true life, both now and for eternity. And I, I count myself in the latter category that sees Jesus speaking to us on both those levels, both now and for eternity. For how we're to live our lives now and for how we will save our lives for eternity with him later. I see that not only just from this particular passage, but also from the rest of Scripture, where we find a lot of other backing for that. And at that point, if that's true, that if he's talking to us from the perspective of how to live our lives now, as well as then how to have salvation for the future, then we need to understand today what Jesus means by losing our lives for him. And Paul speaks into this topic very clearly in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 to 17. So if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn with, them, with me there to 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14 to 17. If you don't have them, you can follow along on the screen. They'll be there for you to, to follow. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 to 17 says this, For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who lived should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we, were once regarded, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. Now we're going to start to break this down a little bit by looking, first of all, at verses 14 and 15. For Christ's love compels us because we 
are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. The principal issue that Paul is driving at in these verses is found in verse 15. There he says, And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So as we come to this then, we need to understand what Paul is telling us here. And as he says, those who live, Paul's not speaking about those who are alive, physically alive and walking around. That's not who he's referring to here. Instead, he is referring to those who are spiritually alive. Which is to say then, those who have come to that point where they have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, where they understand Him to be God, and where they are, have accepted His gift of salvation, recognized their own need, and have placed their faith in Him for that. And what's more, are bringing themselves, aligning themselves with Jesus Christ, who He is, and what He's all about. And at that point... They're no longer living for themselves. So those, those of us that follow Jesus, if you will, Paul categorizes then as those who live. And it's, it's fascinating to go in and understand Paul. We don't have time to unpack this all this morning. But Paul sort of just very categorically understands people in two, two camps. Those who live, which are those that know Jesus Christ, and those who are dead, which is to say, those who are spiritually dead. So he refers to those of us that know Jesus and are following Him as those who live. And the rest, he understands, that are, are dead because of their sin. Now, Paul continues on to say, that we who are alive are no longer to live for ourselves, but for the one who died for us and was raised again. Which is clearly Jesus Christ. There's no ifs and or buts about this. The reference here is definitive. So we don't have to be in doubt about that. It's not, he wasn't talking about Lazarus. He's talking about Jesus Christ. And so for Paul, living for Christ then means that we are to live in such a way as to set others free from the prison of self. That to live for Christ means that we're to give of ourselves and to lay down our lives to be selfless in whatever way that the Spirit leads us to day by day in our encounters and in our actions and in our plans for others so that they would be able to be released from the prison of self that they're in right now. And if we stop long enough to think about it this morning,
Pursuing life for ourselves is a prison, isn't it? If we stop and think about that, we really understand that. That the more that we pursue life for ourselves, that the less that that leads to the life that we want. Pursuing self doesn't lead us to the good life. Pursuing life for ourselves leads us to isolation, leads us to misery and heartbreak. And so, as Christ came then to pay the debt of our sin, as He laid down His life for us and practiced what He's calling us to, we see that what He is after from us, what He's giving us as an example, is the actual antithesis. It's the antidote to what Satan called us to originally in the garden when he convinced Adam and Eve to sin that first time. Where he came to them and he said, hey, eat the fruit, you'll be like God. Which is to say, hey man, life is all about you. You can make it all about you. It can be all for you. And we bought in and we've been buying in ever since. And so Jesus has come along and he's showing us a different way and Paul now is pointing to that for you and I today. He's saying, hey listen, don't live for yourself because it's a prison. Live for Christ and be released from that. Live for Christ and help others be released from that prison as well. Pursuing self is the biggest smoke and mirror show going. We just have to look back and see what sin has done in our world and hopefully then begin to see what it's done in our own lives so that we begin to understand that that's not really where we want to go. And therefore then we can choose to accept Christ and live for Him. So we are to live and act for the benefit of others, just as Christ did. That's this whole idea of dying to live. It's laying down our lives to be released from the prison of self and to be releasing others from that prison as well so that they can find real and true life in Jesus Christ. And we'll come, we'll come back to this in a moment. So that's the what we are to do, if you will. But Paul also gives us the why here as well. And in verses 9 to 15 in this section of Scripture, if you go back to 2 Corinthians 5 verses 9 to 15, Paul actually gives five reasons as why we want to live for Christ. Gives us five great reasons as to why. This morning we don't have time to go into those, but I would encourage you, go home and read them. Go home and find those five reasons. We're only going to speak about one this morning which is to say that we're going to look at living for Christ because of Christ's love. We find that in verse 14. Paul says there that for Christ's love compels us. Now note, Paul is, is not saying that it's, that it's our love for Christ that compels us, 
but that it's Christ's love for us. And oftentimes, I think we come to this section of Scripture or we think about it just in terms, of, you know, we get these things in our head because we're so busy, again, trying to work for whatever we've gotten. That's the worldly perspective. That we think that our motivation is, is that it should be our love for Christ that drives us to live for Him. But Paul comes along here and he says, no, no. He says, it's Christ's love for us that compels us to live for Him. Which is fascinating I, I, we don't have time to unpack all of that again this morning. But man, take that home and chew on that for a while. I'm going to so give you a couple of thoughts on it that will help you with that. But, but let's get it straight today. It's God's love for us that compels us to live for Him, not our love for Him that compels us. Our love is insignificant, ins, insufficient in comparison to Christ's love. We're still tainted by sin. Our carnal selves still continue to undermine that in our lives. So it's not sufficient for our love to be that motivation. This morning, we need Christ's love for us to change us and to turn us into what we're supposed to be, to be the people that he calls us to be. So as much as we might love the Lord, and, and as we do begin to know him, and as we understand him, and as we get to know his character and we see his faithfulness and the way that he demonstrates himself to us in our lives day by day in so many different ways, well then obviously that will grow our love for us, for him in our lives. And that is a motivation for sure, for sure. But that's not our primary motivation. Our primary motivation is Christ's love for us. It's the love that prompted him to give his life for mankind. And that's the motivation. That's what's going to compel us and move us on to love as we ought to live. To, to love as we ought to love and to live as we ought to live. Some versions translate the Greek here as controls instead of compels. Instead of using the English word compels, they use the word controls. And I actually personally prefer that translation because Compels is just an impetus. It's just sort of a, a, a push. It's pressure in a direction, if you will. will. But controls actually gives a, a fuller sense of what Christ does with his love for us, in his love for us, in that he comes along and he doesn't just push us, but he also helps us to, to, to be guided. He shapes us. He helps, he, he, he helps us to refrain from some things. He, he channels us. So it's not just this push that can head out any direction, but it's a push with some bearing to go with it, with some assistance and some guidance alongside of it. And so Christ controls us by his love. And out of then that, we find our way to living for him. Now, we talked about this a little bit when we talked about the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit working in our lives. Just in our series before, if you are joining us and you didn't get a chance to, to check that out, go back and check out that series. Because it's, it's the Holy Spirit working in our lives that's changing us. It's, we're, we're dependent on Him. We're reliant on Him. And here we see it again. God in His love for us comes alongside and by His Spirit then and his love for us, he controls us and begins to move us to where he wants us to be. The question is, is do we want to move with him? 
Are we going to join him in that? Or are you going to be like me, so oftentimes reluctant to take him at his word and buy in and follow as he calls us to? I trust that all of us will grow in this as we look at these perspectives going forward over the next few weeks. So now the question becomes, well then how? How do I live for him? How do we live for him? What does that look like? And Paul speaks to that for us in verse 16. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Here we find that to live for Christ then is again specifically to live for the benefit of others. Which means then that we have to change the way that we see them. We have to change the way that we see people around us. We can no longer value them, Paul says, on this worldly basis, on just merely a human basis. Or even the concept here might be better captured, captured by an external evaluation. We can't just look at them and look at the externals and make our assessment of them based on those things. So we, we can't assess people on their ethnicity or their financial position, their academic or intellectual prowess. We can't assess them on their personality, their physical attributes, how they look, etc., etc., etc. Instead, we have to evaluate them on the internals. Paul's comment that though we regarded, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer, is autobiographical in the original text. He's talking about he and the guys that are working with him. He said, we once regarded Christ even from a worldly perspective. We once looked at him in terms of all the externals. And in Paul's mind, Christ was just a guy. At best, he was just a human. In Paul's mind, really, he was less than that. He, he, he was, a, he was a, an imposter. He was a traitor. He was a menace. He was a criminal. He was someone to be eliminated. Until Christ got a hold of Paul's life and changed him. And he went from regarding him as a criminal and as a menace to understanding him as his Lord and Savior. And with that then came a revolution in Paul's perspective that we need also in our lives. Paul now sees Jesus as God, the true Messiah. And as a result of that, the implication of this verse then is that we wouldn't see people from a worldly perspective, from an external perspective, but rather than that we would see them now from a spiritual perspective. That we would understand each one around us from those terms, that, that perspective, as to whether or not they are a brother or sister in Christ, or then otherwise a person that now needs to know Christ, that doesn't know Him yet. That we don't have to evaluate them on any other perspective, that we better not evaluate them on any other perspective, rather than just that. 
Are they a brother or sister of mine in Christ? Or are they someone that needs to know Jesus? And as we look at people in those terms, then it helps us to crystallize our perspective in either respect. Now for our brothers and sisters, we would lay down our lives. That we would do what we can to make their life better. And if not a brother or sister, then someone that needs to know Jesus Christ. And all the more so that I would lay down my life so that they would become able to make that decision for themselves as well. Just as we have had that opportunity to ourselves. This is our categorical perspective that God is calling us to. That Christ is calling us to. As He calls us to die in order to live. To die in order to find real life. True life in Him. And it plays out in so many different respects. So many specific ways in our life day by day. We just came again out of that series on this fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit are all geared in order to help us die to ourselves. That we would be able to exercise self-control. That we would grow in love. That we would have patience. That we would have an, an, an abundance of kindness. That we would become better and bigger in terms of our goodness. And as that grows in us, then we'll be able to die to ourselves more and more going forward. Verse 17 ends for us this morning with, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. And this morning, for the sake of time, we don't have time to unpack that all. But we need to understand this morning that as we come to communion, that what Christ accomplished in His death and resurrection was to make us a new creation. Whether you know it or not today, as you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you have been wholly renewed into a new creation. You've been transformed into a new creation, which is to say that you are now built to live upside down. That you have that capacity. That you have within you the means in order to do that, to understand it and to actually play it out. All through Jesus Christ and the work of the Spirit. So what He's accomplished through His death and resurrection, is not just our salvation. Oh, it's all that, and if it were only that, it would be worth every penny. But what's more is that He's giving us the ability day by day to live for Him now and to rejoin Him in the redemptive effort that He is exerting on our world now to save it and pull it back into the world that He intended and for people to build us back into the way that He intended for us to be originally including ourselves. I'm going to ask the servers to come 
You don't have to be a member of FBC in order to participate in communion with us this morning. Uh, you don't have to be a regular attender. Um, all that's necessary is that, that you would have come to that place in your life where you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ. And that, also that you would be at a place in a position in your life where you're not holding a grudge or an issue against another brother or sister in the Lord. And that if that would be the case this morning, that you would let the plate pass by in either of those circumstances or, uh, and just forego communion until you resolve both of those, until you come to that place where you would put your trust in Him until you get your relationship restored with brothers and sisters. We're going to pass out the elements. I would ask everybody to um, just take and hang on to them. You can start to open them up until everyone is received and then we'll partake together. Parents, if you're here today and you've got kids with you, it's your responsibility to make sure that your kids are in a position, the proper perspective, in order to take communion uh, this morning as well. So I'll ask the ushers to serve once everyone is received then I'll pray and then we'll partake together. Father, today, this morning, I pray that you would help us to catch an, a new glimpse, a refreshed glimpse, maybe a bigger glimpse of what you've accomplished for us through your death and resurrection. Lord, thank you for the salvation that you provide for us through your broken body and your shed blood, that we can have a restored relationship with you by virtue of that sacrifice on our behalf for our sin. But Lord, this morning too, I pray that you would help us to grow in our relationship with you, that we wouldn't just squander that each day going forward, that we wouldn't be reluctant to buy in, that we wouldn't be hedging our bets, but that we would throw ourselves into that relationship, that we would grow in our relationship with you, that we would spend time with you, that we would read your word, that we would pray, that we would be watching for you day by day in our lives. And that as we do, that we would trust you more, and that as we trust you more, that you would be able to take us and mold us more and more into your people. That you could turn our lives upside down so that you could turn the rest of the world upside down along with us. So I ask these things now again in Christ's name and for his sake alone. Amen. The little wafer represents Christ's body broken for us. The juice represents his blood shed for us. This, he says, do in remembrance of him. Die to live, Jesus says. Turn our world upside down. The question that we have to answer is whether we're ready to flip. I trust that as we go home this week, you will engage with God in that and you'll watch for the way that he's asking you to lay down your life and that you'll join him in that and that we'll together be able to see what he does in us and through us as we follow him. Have a great week, but right now, go out and enjoy some great donuts and cronuts. <laughs>